Well, Father God, we do thank you um, that you have brought Nicole with us this morning. It's nice to have um, family with us. And thank you, and we praise you for her and ask for your uh, protection um, upon her life, Father. And uh, just thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to come together as family this morning, God, and uh, just to enter um, your courts with thanksgiving. Father, that we would be reminded to be thankful in all things. Um, Father, that we would uh, take joy in every trial and every tribulation, and we praise you for every victory and every answered prayer, God. And, uh, Father, so as we come together corporately this morning, may we be able to set things aside and focus on you and empty ourselves before you, Lord, so that you can fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Take me deeper than my secret ever wandered. 
Father, we thank you, Lord, for that truth. That you are a good, good Father. And that we're loved by you. Father, your love. Your love that endures forever. We thank you, God, that we can gather this morning. and Father, open your word and... praying for us, God, that you would just give us an even more of a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. God, that we would be attentive this morning to the leading of your Holy Spirit. That our hearts would be of good soil to receive. That your word would take root in the depths of our being, Lord, and produce lasting fruit in our lives. So that others, God, can come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. As we go forth in a darkened world, as your ambassadors, proclaiming the good news to the captives, God, that they may be set free. For your kingdom and for your glory, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 34, verse 14. Everyone should know it by now. Turn from evil, evil and do good. good. Alright. Search for peace. And work hard to maintain and it. And work hard to maintain it. So, turning from evil and doing good. Searching for peace and working hard to maintain it. And again, every time we get together, this is our scripture. Our verse for the year to really challenge us to live right. Not in and of our own strength. We know that already. But a life dependent upon Christ. Only through Him. He paid the price. He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And what a great reminder that He is a good, good Father as we studied last week the heart of a Father. To really know the one in whom we say we belong to. To know of his great love for us. See, we were all born in sin. That nature that is in complete rebellion to him. But yet, 
The Bible says that he loves us first. He loved us yet though we were in complete rebellion. And he calls us to himself. That he paid the price. That he laid his life down. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that is good news you all. That's good news. And each of you should be able to say amen. Like you've woken up this morning. You have breath in your body. No matter what your circumstances may be. You have breath in your body. And that breath was given to you by God Almighty. And there's a purpose for your life. The Bible says that he's prepared good works for us to do. Even before the earth was formed, he's prepared good works for us to do. To advance his kingdom. To make him known. To lead us on a path of righteousness. Turning from evil, doing good. Getting over ourselves. Getting beyond our circumstances, our pain, our hurt, and our our desires. Because the Bible says where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. But as new creations, as new people in Christ, see, we're growing and we're learning that we've nailed that old nature to his cross. And we've been born again of a new nature. We must continually be reminded of this. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And as we're walking through the Bible, I'm encouraging us to know your God. (laughs) See, what's happening today and what has been happening throughout the days and will continue to happen is that the false gospels are creeping in and have been creeping in even since the birth of the church. Trying to persuade people to create their own God. A God in whom would give them the right to continue to live how they want, to hold a form of religion. See, a religious life would never satisfy you. True satisfaction only comes from being in Christ. You are whole, you are fulfilled in Christ. This is your position. Be careful of the gospel that keeps giving you the right to yourself. Be careful of a gospel that just gives you the right to sit and not participate. (laughs) Be careful of of making God into man. (laughs) No, God is God, and we must know him for who he is. And we've got to stop blaming him. Because God, there's no fault in God. There's no fault in God. God is a God of love. He understands our condition. That's why he came and settled it. So that now we can live. Not wait till we get to heaven, but now we can live. As his ambassadors. What keeps you from sharing the good news? You gotta ask yourself that. What keeps you from sharing the good news? The fullness of the good news. 
Not just the good news that you just want to give people a little bit of God, but the fullness of the good news, the message of Christ. There's a lot of people who say they know God. There's a lot of people who say they know Jesus, they're in a relationship with Jesus. But just because they say it doesn't mean that it's real. doesn't mean anything unless you see the mark of transformation within their life not perfection but transformation I once was but now I am a level of maturity you're, you're to be maturing we're all at different levels if you're sitting here today as a Christian we're all at different levels with our growth within Christ but we shall never settle just to remain stagnant and complacent and not moving forward. A Christian life is a life that progresses and we're moving forward. Remember the scripture that we read? It was last week or the week before. We're to be hurrying this along. <laughs> like we know that his return is coming and we are to be working while it's daylight. And even when it's hard, because the message of the gospel, there's going to become more and more and more and more resistance towards it. But Jesus says all that's going to take place, but the good news is, is his gospel will continue to be preached throughout the world. Nothing's going to hinder it. You're going to find resistance. That's why we can't water it down just to make it satisfying to people's ears. Listen, the gospel offends. If it hasn't offended you, you haven't heard the gospel. The gospel offends the natural man, the flesh. It's uncomfortable. What do you, it doesn't matter what sin you partake in. It offends because it strips you of that old nature. It strips you of you demanding rights for yourself. Listen, a dead man, a dead woman has no rights. So when you come to Christ, you willingly lay down your life. You're not forced. You're not striving to do all these works to be right with God. No, you're laying your life down like, I see my need for you, Jesus. <laughs> and I accept this free gift of salvation. A life transformed. And if we're not sharing it with others, then what are we doing? Because people have partial truth. They have a little truth. And if we see that they have a little truth, then take that extra step with them and explain the whole truth. And pray for them. Because ultimately, the only one that can open their eyes and transform them. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. So pray for them. But in your season of praying for them, speak to them. It's vital that they hear. They're not beaten down with it, but that they hear it. And that you're serving them. Listen, is what Christ came to do. So when we think upon Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn for me, one, do good. Seek for peace. Work hard to maintain it. Be challenged each day when you get up. 
Like this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Yes. Talked to you before a couple weeks, past couple weeks of, of speaking scripture, of declaring truth over your life. So many times we declare so much other stuff over us <laughs> and over others. <laughs> but if you imagine if you take the word of God, the truth, and allow it to begin to take root and begin to transform us, because the Bible says, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. And when your thoughts are coming in that are contrary to God's truth, then the Bible says that we're to take every thought captive and bring them into the, the obedience of the Lordship of Christ. King David himself even prayed, or even spoke out, oh, so why are you so downcast? Put your hope in the Lord. So I want to challenge us. Put your hope in God. Even when you slip up and you do evil, are you quick to repent? Not playing, not playing the blame game, but like really seeing the ugliness of your ways. Like, oh God, that's ugly. That's sin. That's destruction. Nothing good will come from this. Oh, God, forgive me. And asking others for forgiveness who you've offended. Like turning from evil and doing good. Seeking for peace and working hard to maintain it. And that's a fellowship. As, as the church... And I was reading... Actually, Carrie was reading to me yesterday while I was driving... But this article, and he was saying Jesus loved the church so much <laughs> and loved the law so much that he laid his life down. Like if our Savior cared that much, shouldn't we? For the loss and for the church. Like to really come together in unity, encouraging, edifying, and building up each other. Life's hard. Life's hard, and it's not going to be easy. And being a Christian, it's hard. Jesus himself knew this, and that's why he gave us that understanding. But he said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcame the world. So see, our position is in Christ. And as we learned from our study with Dr. Tony Evans, that we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. You have to see that it's already done. And believe it. So yes, you can turn from evil and you can do good. Depending upon the Holy Spirit. Walking in the fullness of who Christ is. And saying, not my will, but your will be done. So as we open up today's scripture in Exodus chapter 17 verse 8 and we're going through chapter 19 verse 15 we're walking through the Bible we're going to do a little in the Old Testament we're heading to Matthew then we're going to go to Psalms and then we're going to close in Proverbs but again I'm hoping that you all are really excited about opening up the word of God and getting to know God as you're opening up the Bible and as, as we're getting to see God even more of who he is we recognize again that God is not the problem people are the problem 
So Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 is where I'm starting. So I want you to think about that. God is not the problem. People are the problem. Remind yourself that as you're getting up every day this week. Remember what I just said? God is not the problem. People are the problem. I'm the problem. Remember God's purpose and God's plan from the beginning is to have a people that he will call his own. And in return, they will call him their God. This is God's plan. He hasn't hidden it from us. From the beginning, open in Genesis, we're all the way through Revelation. It's the same theme. God is calling a people to himself. And we will be with God for eternity, for those who belong to him. That's why we can't dumb down the message. Nowadays, everyone is accepted. Everyone's ushering in. I don't see that anywhere. Even in the book of Revelation, at the end, he hasn't changed his message. But God is not the one who's keeping mankind from him. No, God has revealed himself to mankind. It's mankind who is so desirous for their own selves that they reject him as God. And yet all along knowing in the depths of the very being that they need a creator. You see, in every man and woman that is birthed, there's a longing for a creator. And that's why man creates God in his own, his own image and turns from the true God who is seeking him. So as we open up, I want you to see this today. Remember, he's called the Israelites to himself. The whole purpose of setting the Messiah is so that the Messiah would come forth. Remember back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, The relationship with God was broken. They were removed from the garden. And God even spoke then that there's going to come one who will crush the head of the serpent. It's Jesus. God's plan woven throughout history to ultimately bring forth the Messiah, the one who will reconcile this fallen creation back to its creator. Romans 5.1 says, Now therefore you're at peace with God through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Peace with God. He has set these people aside. Moses has led them out. And we read the last time we were walking through that they started grumbling and complaining. Oh, we're thirsty. We're hungry. What did you bring us out here for to die? Like, did they just forget what God did for them? Oh, but we're no different. <laughs> God shows up, God reveals, God, I mean, just moves in a mighty way. And we're all like, oh, God, but give it an hour. (laughs) When you get the car in front of you, it's going too slow. When the co-worker drives you batty. When you get the phone call. Or when your bank account's all messed up. When things go wrong. Now all of a sudden we forget how great he is and now we make him small. We excuse him and say, okay, I'll take care of it, God. What? 
We can never take care of it. That's why we must keep the right image of our Father. He's a good, good Father. And He does discipline us. The Bible tells us that. He disciplines those that He loves. Bible says, if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him with your whole heart, are you seeking him, you all? In every circumstance, in every situation, they got thirsty and they complained. They kept begin to start looking back at where they were and going, well, it wasn't so bad back there. They forgot what it was like to be a slave. To be beaten, to be heavy, heavy burden. Oh, let us not look back at the old man, at the old woman, at your old ways of life and think it was better there. No, let us be like those, those disciples when Jesus says, are you leaving too? And they say, where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. Like, I'm not living for this temporalness anymore. No, God, I'm living for eternity. My mind is set upon you. My mind is set upon that which is eternal. Because if I stay down here, I'm going to keep tripping up. Oh, but that is raise our gaze up. As we're reading through these scriptures this morning, we say, God, I want to be different. I want to be different. I want to serve you. I want to love you with my whole heart with my whole being. Like, I don't need you to be watered down. I don't need a hoo-hoo, frilly type God. No, I need you to be God. I need you to be all-powerful. I need you to be my daddy. I need to see you for truly who you are and not lose sight of you. Verse 8 of chapter 17 while the people of Israel was still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Now, wait a minute. Here they are heading to the promised land. God is working things out within them and providing for them. And now we're seeing they're being attacked. And we're going to see this. As, as they're going in and as they enter in, there's a lot that's going to take place with the Israelites. They're going to have a lot of enemies. So don't think just because you gave your life to Christ that you're a Christian now that you're not going to have enemies. (laughs) Oh, you're going to have enemies. And they are going to attack. And they are going to do things that are not pleasant. But you, child of God, keep your gaze up and keep moving forward. Depend on God. Depend on God. Because as we're studying the Israelites, when they stop depending on Him, things get worse. Remember, trials come in our lives. But the trials that come into our lives are not there to defeat us. They're there to mature us, to to grow us, that we are to persevere, and from perseverance, character is being worked out within us. And then hope is being established, and that hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. 
Not hoping Him will never disappoint us. But you must let perseverance finish its work within you. That's what the Bible says. So that you can become complete, not lacking anything. See, we've got to get rid of that old character. <laughs> and the only way that we can keep dying to self is being faced with issues. Because listen, when you're faced with issues, what comes out is what's still in. So don't beat yourself up and play the shame, blame, condemnation game. <laughs> like when you see it, you just go, oh, it's still there, huh? Oh, but Christ is for me, so who can be against me? Daddy, thank you for exposing that area still within my life that I need to grow in, that I need to mature in. My Father, forgive me for allowing this to trigger a bad attitude or filthy words or bad thoughts or unforgiveness or bitterness or rage or anger, whatever it may be. I know God complete. I know that you're faithful to complete what you've begun in me. I'm not perfect. I'm not complete until I'm with you. But while I'm here, I'm not making excuses for my sin. No, God. Work within me. Work within me. And no matter what it is, no matter what it is that's being brought up to the surface of your heart, when you see that it's contrary to God's truth, deal with it. If not, it'll deal with you. It'll deal with you. No, deal with it. We see right here that now they're being attacked. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steadily until sunset. As the result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in the battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder, and read it aloud, aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memories of, the Am of, of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said, they have raised their fists against the Lord's throne. So now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. God, yet again, revealing himself to his people. <sighs> Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. And what a beautiful victory. And this beautiful picture of Moses. Every time that he kept his hands up, the Israelites were gaining ground. And when he started growing weak, these two guys came and they held his hands up for him. What a beautiful picture of how the church 
should be supporting each other. We see our brothers and sisters in Christ needing support, coming alongside them. It's a beautiful picture. And I love the picture too, that the people of Israel, Moses didn't say, everyone just sit down and do nothing. Let's just wait for God. No. He instructed Joshua, go and fight. And we'll see that all through Scripture. We see it all through Scripture. Even in the New Testament, we are told that our, that our war is not with flesh and blood, but it's with the principalities, rulers, and the air of the darkness. And so many times I think we, we forget that, we neglect that understanding. And we get so caught up in the temporalness of it all, but sometimes we just need to pull ourselves out of it and go, wait a minute, that person's not my enemy. I know who the enemy is. And so many times we talk more about the person than praying for them. Why are we in agreement with the enemy over another person's life? We're so quick to tear down. We're so quick to say things that's not encouraging, that's not edifying, that's not building up. It's not how we ought to be. We're in agreement with God. And so we ask for their eyes to be open, their ears to hear, that God will move. How are you praying for others who may seem to be attacking you? And if you're growing weary in the battle of prayer, get your brothers and sisters in agreement with you. Because one can only put so many to fight. But get two or three or four or five or more people to stand in agreement to pray. To pray. They had to go face. It reminds me, and again, you'll see this all through Scripture. We're never to shrink back from our enemy. No, we're to keep advancing forward. Are you advancing forward? Like, we're not to shrink back and to be scared or overwhelmed. No, we're to advance forward. See, our, our movement is forward. We're not to retreat. No, we're moving forward. And I love in Ephesians where it says, after you've done all you know to do, then stand. But you ought to be doing something. <laughs> after you've done all you know to do, then stand. Because ultimately, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Chapter 18. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God has done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Earlier, Moses had sent his wife, Zipporah, and his two sons back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Moses' firstborn, I'm sorry, first son, was named Gershom, for Moses had said, when the boy was born, I had been a foreigner in a foreign land. His second son was named Elijah, who, for Moses had said, the God of my ancestors was my helper. He rescued me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro's Moses' father-in-law now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. He brought Moses' wife and his two sons with him, and they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. 
Jethro had sent a message to Moses saying, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed him. They asked about each other's welfare, and then, <coughs> I'm sorry, and then went to Moses' tent. Moses, is told, Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh in Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hand of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and, the, and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression and the, of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, then Jethro, Jethro Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, What are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? And Moses replied, Because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring their major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Soon after this, Moses said goodbye to his father-in-law, who returned to his own land. Wisdom, you all. Oh, how we need it. Oh, how we need wisdom. And oh, how we need people in our lives that can give us counsel. 
I thank God Moses was humble. He wasn't prideful. He wasn't like, Jethro, who do you think you are? Do you not know who I am? No, no, no. He was humbled. He not only listened, he applied the wisdom. So many of us are filled with so much wisdom, but yet we walk in ignorance because there's no application. Let that sink in for us. We know truth, but it's not applied. And so we remain ignorant. Then we wonder why we're not at peace. Then we're blaming everyone else when the reality is it's you. You've been counseled, you've been counseled, you, you know the word, you've been in the word, you've been sitting in church, you've been around Christians. The Holy Spirit has been speaking and leading and prompting and poking and trying to get you to move forward. But yet there's no moving. We're just stuck in the same condition and <coughs> the same realities of life. Jethro saw something. Like, wait a minute. Moses, you're not only going to wear yourself out, but you're going to wear the people out. No, 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 Moses. It's time now to delegate. Be careful, though, who you delegate to. They must be people of good character. Solid character. Careful. Careful who you're turning it over to. And I love when we hear, even at this point, to make sure people are learning how they should live. They're learning the decrees of God. They're understanding who their God is and how they are to be living now because they are his people. And so it is with us today. Oh, how we need solid men and women to be influencers in our Christian life. People of character. Not perfect people, but people of character. That we can learn from. That we can trust. And I love even the fact that even Jethro says, I'm giving you this counsel, but may God lead you in it. May God lead you in it. Who's counseling you? You know, like I challenge you to keep a journal about how you're spending your time. Again, it's not to provoke shame and guilt and like, oh, I'm just so a horrible Christian. No, if you're doing that, then, then, you, then you're missing out because you're just looking at yourself still. But to, to genuinely, you want to know where you're at with God? I always encourage you to listen to your words and your, your thoughts and you'll see. But another way to really know is how are you spending your time? Get a journal. Seven days. Just do seven days. You only want to do three? Do three. <laughs> but journal your time. See how much God's involved with your life. It's important to be able to gauge where you're at. And another challenge I'll give you 
journal who you're listening to and the advice that was given. So many of us are making decisions and doing things that we ought not to be listened to and doing. Write down the advice you were given. Does it line up with the truth of God's word? Oh, there's a lot of people around us that have a lot of advice for us. But if it's not godly, turn your ear from it and stop going to them. Stop allowing them to be an influence in your life. Because the wicked only know how to live. <laughs> wicked. Just like you did before you became a Christian. All you knew is how to live for yourself. Demanding your rights, your want, your desires. But I don't know if you're a Christian, there's a way in which you ought to be living now. And you should have people in your life that are influencing you to the things of God. So write the counsel down that you're getting. Does it line up? And watch the lives of those who are counseling you godly. But watch their lives. Watch their lives. Watch how they're living. Because just because they have a, a title slapped to their name, and just because they know scripture back and forth and front and back, we're going to see Jesus tell us in the New Testament the portion we're going to read today is heed their advice, but don't live like them. <laughs> Careful. It's important. But I love this picture captured in scripture of Jethro stepping up and saying, wait a minute. <laughs> There's a way in which this should be done. And like Moses, we should be able to receive that correction. We should be able to receive that correction. In fact, we should be longing for it. Because again, you're a new creation if you're in Christ. How am I to live now? That should be your question every day. Like, I don't want to go back to the, how am I to live now? How am I to think now? How am I to, to speak now? What are my desires to be now? If they're not this, then what are they? Who am I now? And grow, you all. Mature, grow, mature, grow, mature. We need Christians. Living as Christians in this world. It's chaotic. That's why people need to see there's something different. Chapter 19, we're only going to verse... 15. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp of Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belong to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. 
Look how beautiful that is. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders and the people and had told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, listen, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answers back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people, I'm sorry, Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as the, all the people watch. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the, the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. So Moses went down to the people. He consecrated them for worship, and they washed their clothes. He told them, get ready for the third day, and until then, abstain from having sexual intercourse. We're preparing ourselves. He's getting them ready. For them to really know their God. This longing. Do you, do you not see this? The longing of the Father. The longing of God. To bring his people to himself. Even from back here. In the Old Testament. And you'll see it all through scripture. What a beautiful picture of God. Now go prepare them. Moses. Give them these instructions. As it is. Moses is just the foreshadow of Jesus. The ultimate deliverer. And as we come to Christ, as we receive him, we're washed clean by his blood. We're now right with God. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. We have this relationship now, and there's a way in which we ought to live. Not because man sets the standards, but because God himself has set the standard. He's the author of life. He knows what's good for us. Oh, how we should listen and stop fighting against him. If I'm not to do this any longer, God, that's okay. I'm not going to feel condemned and shame. No, God, I'm just going to trust that you will transform me. That I can recognize that my Christ Jesus is victorious. And I'm no longer a slave to sin or to death. I'm no longer interested in the things of the world. Nor is the, world, or nor is the world's interest in me anymore. Like I'm different. I've been born again. Redeemed. Set apart. Oh, how we should see ourselves as such. And know our God. These people are about to encounter God. And I can't wait till we move on next week. We'll go to Matthew chapter 22. 
Jesus is still dealing with these religious people. <laughs> Matthew 22, verse 34, is where we're starting today. And we're going through chapter 23, verse 12. So Matthew 22, verse 34. Jesus just continues to expose these religious leaders on who they are. Jesus did not tolerate the religious. He dealt with them. Those are the people that we see him deal with harshly. And so we pick up. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert of religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with your whole being. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, Jesus even says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? I don't do what I command. See, again, there's a lot of people who say, I love Jesus. I love God. But it's just words. Because they treat Jesus' blood as common, as if it's nothing. They live lives untransformed. They just keep going their way. And we just keep celebrating with them. Instead of being truth to them. Jesus did not mince words with these religious people. These religious men believed in their whole being and to the depths of their soul that they were in love with God, that they loved God, that kept his commandments, they taught his commandments. They did, they did, they did, they did. They added, they, they were burdening his people. <laughs> and they thought that was love. <laughs> and Jesus tells them what the greatest commandment is. They weren't loving God. They had a form of love, but they weren't loving God. Are you loving God? If I said, Bashela, I love you, but treated you harshly or stiffed on. <laughs> but again, I kept telling y'all how much I love Mishela. And yet every time you saw that I was with Michelle, I disrespected her. Would you go around telling people, like, God, you should see how much Rob loves Michelle? <laughs> no, behind my back, y'all be talking, going, the man's crazy. Like, 
You don't love He doesn't love her. Or maybe we all just go along with it and say, oh, no, he loves her. He loves her. It's okay that he does that. He loves her. Well, he says he loves her. But that's not love. It's not love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Well, shall we pull out that scripture for us? It's not easily provoked. It keeps no records of wrong. Love never fails. Oh, that we would love. See, we can learn and grow to learn to love that way when we recognize that's what the love, that's the love that we've received from him. See, what you receive, you freely give to others. <coughs> like if I'm saying I'm in love and I'm in relationship with you, then that should be the fruit of my life. Wouldn't it be horrible if I told you how much I love God and yet I walk up in here high as a kite after sleeping with six people, gossiping, slandering, backbiting, murdering, blood on my hands and on my clothes, would y'all really sit here and listen to me preach? Yeah. You would be like, something's wrong. Or if I held such a, a clean outside present, presentation for you, inside I'm just as vile and wicked thinking that none of y'all see oh but you saw it slipped up the other day oh wait no it's a pattern now I'm seeing it's a pattern I'm seeing in your life it's a pattern wait a minute careful loving God do you truly desire him do you know of his great love and his mercy and his grace that has been given such great salvation that he is pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing you and last week we talked about the prodigal son and how he came to his senses and he was like what am I doing here have you come to your senses do you long to be in your father's home? The father stood from afar and he saw off in the distance his son returning and he ran towards him and to embrace him. And like I encouraged you last week, you're the prodigal. The father didn't stand there with his arms folded, tapping his feet, cursing and, and carrying on. Oh, now you want to come back home. No, no, no. The father ran towards him, and in an instant, the son was restored. This is our God, you all. This is who we're saying, if you're a Christian, that you're in relationship with, and we ought to love him with our whole being. And we ought not to let others stand before us telling us how much they love him, and yet reality is they don't. Share the good news with him or with them. Like I told you, there's a lot of people who's talking about God's love. And I love when I hear someone say that because it opens the door. 
as long as they're willing to hear. When they shut down, shut up. Turn and go the other way. Don't fight and argue with people and demand people. Then you're just like the religious Pharisees. Respect them. So I love, you know, yesterday Norma had the opportunity to minister to this Muslim man. And I love as she was reporting and sharing with me like how it was all coming about. I love when I heard her say, and I said to him, at any moment you can stop me. Praise God. Like at any moment you want me to stop, just say so. And I'll respect that. Yes. Yes. She was building and fostering a relationship of respect. Like I'm going to, I'm respecting you. I'm respecting you. It's so important. But as soon as someone opens up the door and they want to talk about God's love and I love God, well then and you know that their, their lives are not lining up with how it should be, but yet now they're holding a form. No, it's so vital that we minister to them. Yes, God is love. And you love God. But what have you done with Jesus? Because it's because of his love that he gave. So let's have a conversation about Jesus. And the call of a disciple. It's so funny, we're quick to talk about Jesus, but we don't talk about the call of a disciple. We're quick to give them the principles of the kingdom, but not the king. No, they need to know the king. <laughs> to understand fully the principles that need to be applied in our lives. And Jesus is telling them here. And then surrounded, it says here in verse 41, the Pharisees, I'm sorry, then surrounded by the Pharisees, now they're all around you. Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? This is interesting. Now the tables are being turned. Now he's surrounded by the religious men. And all the common folk are hearing this conversation. And he keeps exposing them to them. They used to look up to these men. These were the men of God. Now this new man is standing, has shown up on the scene, who speaks and teaches with such authority, doing miracles. And now he has everyone's attention. And look at the question. He asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Oh, they replied, he is the son of David. And Jesus responded, then why does David speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord. For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So, practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. 
for they do not practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as Father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual Father. And don't let anyone call you Teacher, for you have only one Teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a beautiful picture how we are to live. This position of humility, of serving, of loving God, of our very being, and in that, loving others as we love ourselves. I want to challenge you this week. How are you loving others? You know why it's so hard sometimes to love others? Because we're still dealing with ourselves. Ourself. But you can't really come to really love yourself until you really fully receive the love of the Father. The God you created me, you know me. You know my innermost. And God, you died for me. I'm of worth and of value, not in and of myself, only in Christ. And I want to honor you, God, with the way I live. Body, soul, mind, every being. And in that, I can learn to get beyond and allow my mind to be transformed by renewing the way I think about myself. Because apart from you, I'm a broken mess. And I'm rebellious, and I'm just so selfish. But in you, I'm whole, I'm healed. I can think differently, I can act differently, I can talk differently. My life can be radically changed. And in that, I see you as my example. Like you came, the greatest servant of all. You humbled yourself. I want to follow your example. I want to serve others. I want to love others. I want others to know you intimately, Father. As intimately as I know you. I want to share. That's the life that we're moving forward to. Daily growing in it. Recognizing our need. What a beautiful picture. Don't live as a hypocrite. Don't be a religious person. 
be one who's in relationship with God. No matter where you're at, no matter where you're at in your walk with God, if you're fresh in it, if you're in the midst, middle of it, if you're towards the end of it, whatever. Whatever level of maturity you're at, just love Him. And let others see that. Are others seeing you before they see Christ? That all not to be. They should see Christ. Reflection. His hands, His feet. Go to Psalm 27. 7 through 14. Listen, it's getting harder out there, y'all. But don't grow weary in doing good. To some you'll be a fragrance of life, to others you'll be a stench of death. The message of the gospel will continue to be preached throughout the earth. Even if they drag you into jail, even if they beat you down, even if they mock you, even if they reject you, it doesn't matter. Christ is for you. You've been given the Holy Spirit. He's in you. He's given you everything you need to live a godly life. Pursue godliness. And get out there and live. Yes, it'll look strange and odd to some, but to others, they will be attracted to it. So be available. Be available, you all. Psalm 27, verse 7 through 14. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. Oh, what a beautiful picture, you all. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me. O God of my salvation, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet, I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Yeah, 27, verse 7 through 14. Okay. These beautiful words penned. Even in the most extreme circumstances, when life is pressing up against you, when you feel like you're surrounded by enemies, gaze up. <laughs> Remember your God, you all. Come on, are we doing this daily? Listen to what was penned here. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness. 
you imagine? To really live a life to where your first response is to remember God. Not remember how your mama, your daddy, your auntie, your, your grandma, your neighbor, your this or that, or whoever did, did, you, did you wrong. <laughs> Not remembering your, all your woundings and your brokenness and your hurts and your pain and, oh, your rejection, your insecurity. No, but first remembering your God. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you make him first, Nothing else can compare. Listen to this. Teach me how to live, O oh Lord. Have you asked me that? Oh, I pray that we do. I encourage you to sit in these verses this week. Open up this psalm, this portion of it. And before you put your feet on the floor, read these words. See, the Christian life can be lived, you all. If it can't, then he's a liar. And I'm tired of seeing people make Jesus a liar. <laughs> because we just want to keep giving the rights to ourselves, live however we want, to do whatever we want, and just slap Jesus on us. Oh no, that's not the Christian life. This life can't be lived. Not in and of our own selves. Listen, your life is declaring his victory. Your life as a Christian is declaring his victory, his resurrection. He's defeated sin and death. Even in your own failures, get up from them. Repent and go the right way. Go to Proverbs where we're ending today. We're finishing Proverbs 6, verse 27 through 35. Oh, I pray that we are encouraged. Proverbs 6, verse 27 through 35. Woo! This is a good proverb. Hopefully, again, we're, we're, we're hearing wisdom. Let's not remain ignorant. Like, put it into practice. This proverb, and throughout the Proverbs are really dealing with perversion, with respect for authority, and the way in which a, a young man, a young woman, or a man or a woman should be presenting themselves daily and not chasing after their desires. Perversion only leads to destruction. I love the fact that it talks about and reminds us to, to, to uphold marriage. <laughs> And not just make marriage what we want it to be, but to really uphold marriage. And I would encourage you all, how are you praying for marriage, for marriages? You ought to be. When everyone is pretending to be married and everybody wants to change the, the way marriage should be, no, God has designed it. And if we haven't understood this yet, the enemy will always try To pervert what God has established. And we must be careful. 
Marriages need prayer. <laughs> Marriages need prayer. Not everybody is called to be married. So married people <laughs> don't make single people feel like they're lacking. <laughs> Respect where each of us are at in our lives. But as far as marriages, you should be praying for couples that you know. Marriages, marriage is work. They are. And we're being warned here yet again about sleeping around. Not this man, you know, being encouraged. Not to, not to give in to the immoral woman and, and not to take another man's wife to bed. Remember, we talked about it before. God created sex and sex is good. <laughs> when it's happening as God has purposed it. Oh, but perversion is running amok. And now, sex, because it feels good, we deem it to be good to happen however we want it. And not just out in the world, but it's, the church is being bombarded with perversion. And we're all just kind of sitting back. Oh, God, help us. No, we're to be a pure people. <laughs> not just giving in. And giving out, but keeping ourselves pure and keeping the marriage bed pure and understanding what it is and, 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 and encouraging our youth to respect their themselves and not trying to find themselves and laying themselves down with everybody and anybody. Know that we're encouraging people. To some you will be a fragrance of life. To others they will be put off by you. How dare you speak such hate. And tell me how I'm to live my life. And that's the heterosexuals and the homosexuals and the transgenders and everyone else. It's just not one thing. No, it's everybody. If, if you're living in sin. <laughs> then why are you remaining there if you're calling yourself a Christian? Because you're not going to find it anywhere in the Bible. No matter how you want to rewrite it or twist it. No, God from the beginning has established it. And sex is good. <laughs> because God created it. But when the enemy perverts it, be careful. Be careful. Heed the warning. Oh, but come on, we got to update the Bible. You've got to be for today. What? <laughs> what are you updating? can't update God. No, no, no. We're only going to take this part. We're not going to take this part. No, you have to take the whole part. Well, no, God needs to become more, you know, relevant in today's generation. Things are different. Things are moving. What? He knew what it was going to be like in this generation and generation to come. How more wicked and vile it's going to become before his return. Oh, careful, you all. Not to be led astray because churches are allowing anything and everything to come forth. 
when there's no accountability. And I'm just not talking about uh, Christians sitting in the pews. I'm talking about in the pulpits and, and preachers and, 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 and ministers and, and worship leaders and, you know, whatever the title is. They're falling left and right. And they're all like, oh, look how bad. Uh, why do that? Because <laughs> you know it breaks my heart. When I hear yet of another pastor falling. Or another pastor divorcing. Or the affairs that are running amok in the church. Or the sin of, of, of perversion just running amok in the church. Especially in our youth. So I'm like, oh God. Who was around them that held them accountable? Who was bold enough to love them enough and go, stop going that way? Like, what are you doing? Oh, how we should hear. There's nothing good about perversion and definitely nothing good about adultery. It leads to destruction. Verse 27. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with a man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he is starving. But if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole even if he has to sell everything in his house. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased, for the woman's jealous husband will be furious, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation nor be satisfied with the payoff of any size. Any size. So there's no benefit, you all, from a perverse life. There's nothing good that can come from it. And all in our society, in our day and age, how we ought to honor marriage and pray for marriages. God help us, you all. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our bodies. That we're honoring Him, that we're living for Him. Be encouraged, y'all. Go out and impact the areas in which you've been given. Your homes, your jobs, the grocery stores, the restaurants. Wherever your feet may tread, may be given unto you for His kingdom. To share the good news of your Savior. To tell of his love and of his transforming power. He doesn't love us and keep us enslaved. No, he has come to set the captives free. Amen. Did you come close us? Thank you. And then after the song of worship, I'll close us in prayer.
Stand up loud. 